I invite you to turn with me in the scriptures before our pastor comes to the final chapter of 1 John, John's first letter, the fifth chapter of John's first letter. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and the blood. Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the new testimony of God. Because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Father, speak to us, we pray, through your word, through your servant, in the moments ahead. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
We've been looking at this letter, John's first letter, um, right towards the very end of the Bible. But of course, it's not the first thing that John has written. Um, John has written a gospel as well. He's written a longer account of the life of Jesus. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, he's already written a gospel. Um, and he writes his gospel so that you can come to believe in Jesus for the first time. Um, he, he says that. Um, towards the end of the gospel in chapter 20 he says Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book he's written you a book of signs he says but there were loads more that you could have looked at but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name so he writes his gospel so that you um, so that you can hear about Jesus and so that you can believe But John writes his letter for a different purpose, and that came out in today's reading. He's he's writing his letter so that you might know that you really have life in Christ. There it was in the middle of chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so there is a kind of a, a pattern here which I want us to, kind of, to fit together uh, and understand. A process, a track. And the gospel allows you to hear that Jesus is the Messiah, um, the Son of God. And by hearing you might believe, and by believing you might have eternal life. And the letter allows you to know that you have this eternal life. Um, there are sermon notes there and there and there. And the red words come up on the sermon notes. But the letter allows you to know that you really do have eternal life. And then it tells us how we can live before God with confidence. And again, it came up in in today's reading. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And uh, And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask... We know that we have what we asked of him. So there's the process. John wants his readers to hear in the gospel uh, about the life of Jesus. uh, And by hearing believe, believe that he is the son of God and he went to the cross for us. And by believing have eternal life. And having life now to know that you are right with God at this moment. And knowing that you can live confidently before him. I just ask you the question this morning, where are you at in, in that process? Have you heard about Jesus? Have you, have you read one of the Gospels? Have you, are you hearing the message? Having heard, have you, have you believed? Have you believed that he is who he said he is, that he is, uh, that he is God the Son incarnate, that he is God come in human flesh? Having believed then, have you been born anew? Have you been born again? Has something spiritual happened that you've got new life in Christ, which has changed the way you look at God uh, and has changed the way you connect with God and has made it real and living? Has that happened? Sometimes call that being born again. And having been born again, are you living in a place where you're confident before God? Are you um, come before him and confident that uh, he's hearing your prayers? And you can ask him things. Well, our mission this morning is to get you on that track. Wherever you started off, whichever point you're on, or whichever point you sit back to, uh, our mission for the morning, as we finish off 1 John, is to get you um, back on that track. 
But I want to offer uh, but a word of warning uh, before we go any further. This is not Paul. That's my word of warning. I know it's a bit cryptic. This is not Paul. When we read the Apostle Paul, if you're not familiar with the Bible, Paul is like, um, uh, he, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious kind of specialist. Um, and he writes a bit like a, you know, like a solicitor would write. I guess he writes in kind of detailed arguments. And when you read Paul, you read through the argument, you think, oh, that's knotty. And then you tease it apart. And then you think, oh, yeah, I've understood that job done. And of course, the job isn't done. Because if you read it and understood it, uh, that's not the job. It's only part of the job. The job then is to put it into practice uh, and to experience it. So with Paul, there's this kind of trap that you can fall into. You think, I've understood you, Paul, but you haven't done anything about it. Well, today, and, and I guess you've been discovering this, I've been discovering this as I've been reading John. John doesn't let you fall into that trap. Okay, because although you, we might find his language... Uh, um, a bit alien to us, when it comes down to it, he makes some really um, brutal statements. He makes, you some, makes lots of statements. I hope you've discovered that along the way. There are lots of statements where you don't need any help in understanding it. So we're just left exposed by it. Is this something I have actually experienced now? Uh, is this real in my life? Um, statements like... If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He says things as like, um, if anyone's born of God, they won't carry on sinning. They won't habitually sin. He says anybody uh, who calls himself a Christian but doesn't love their a brother or sister um, in Christ is, is a liar. Although there's probably lots that I think are probably not understood uh, of John along the way. Um, there is plenty which you can just read simply and understand. Now, actually, it's not the stuff that you don't understand that's the problem, is it? It's the stuff that we do understand that's the problem because it hits us between the eyes. And we're left with that uncomfortable feeling. I understand this. I don't need to wrestle this down. But have I experienced Christianity in this way that John explains it? So I want to pray for us again before we go any further. Father God, we don't want to fall into the trap of this, this morning, of this being a thing of the mind, that we come to the end and, and think, yeah, I understand that. Yes, we've fitted that into a nice pattern. But we want this to be a thing of reality. We want this to be, um, we want this to be true and applied to us by your Holy Spirit. We want to know it uh, experientially on the inside. We're asking you, Lord, to come by your spirit and make it real to us this morning. Because, Lord, the things that we do understand are plain and clear. And plain and clear though they are, I think for most of us we say, this is not actually my experience. And we want it to be our experience. Please come amongst us. Uh, move, change us this morning, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Well, hopefully... Very simply, let's look at it um, piece by piece. We won't get into the depths of this passage. There's plenty in it. Plenty that we won't get to. And we're actually, we're just picking it up, really. We left, we left off last time at, at verse uh, 5. This is page 1228 again. Um, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the, is the Son of God. 
This is the one who came by water and the blood. And then we get this funny little passage. Um, but the one who overcomes the world, what, what John means by that is the one who holds on to their Christian confidence. The one who lives out their Christian life with confidence. It doesn't mean you go, go out, as we said before, you know, wrestling down false teachers in the street. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that. It, overcoming the world means that you just don't live according to the world's standards. You don't, you don't believe the untruths they throw at you and you hold on to your confidence in Christ. Who is it that overcomes the world? Okay, only the one who believes that Jesus is, is the Son of God. But how do you get to that point? How do you get to that point of, of, of Christian confidence? Well, John says there are, there are three witnesses. He says of Jesus Christ, he didn't come by water only, but by water and blood. And it's the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. It sounds already alien to us, doesn't it? But I think let's break it down like this. There are three witnesses um, that the man, Jesus, is God, the Christ. See, what the false teachers are saying, they're saying that Jesus is just a man. And some kind of divine Christ came down with him, Woo. Okay, at his baptism, and went, okay, um, at at the cross, and and Jesus was just really a man. And John says, no, no, and no again. Jesus is God and man in one person from the moment of conception. That's the Christmas story. He is God and man at the moment of his birth, and he is God and man when he is being baptised by John. That's the water that he's talking about now. That's a different John that he's baptised by, but it doesn't matter. At that baptism, when the Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove, and a voice of the Father um, speaks to him from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was God the Son. He was the Son of God. He is God and man when he is crucified and dies. This now just totally mind-blowing. How can that be? How can that be? Jesus is both God and man. And he goes to a cross and dies in his human person. God the Son is crucified, allows himself to be nailed to a cross. That's the blood. He's God and man when he's raised from the dead. That means he is God and man now, even today. Jesus Christ is God and man. So this man Jesus is God, he is the Christ, all the time, from conception, and he came through the water as God and man, and he came through the blood, through the crucifixion, as God and man. And John says it's the the Spirit who convinces us of this. It's the Spirit who comes uh, and tells us this is true. Because he's the Spirit who is truth. The Spirit is not trying to pull the wool over our eyes. He's not using the schoolboy's kindergarten definition of faith, which is um, believing something you know that's not really true. (coughs) Some small boy apparently wrote that. Faith is believing things that you know aren't really true. That's, it's not what the Spirit is doing. He's coming and convincing you uh, of, re- of the real facts of the matter. He's opening, to, opening our eyes to what is actual uh, and what is real. That Jesus is God and man. 
all the way through his life. And so there are three witnesses and they're all in agreement and they're all making the same testimony. God has given us eternal life through Jesus and this life is in his son. So in a sense he's had a little recap of his gospel here. And there are three witnesses and the question is do you believe? You've heard, do you believe? If you got three witnesses who agreed in, in a Jewish court that was... Uh, that was taken as true. That was, that was conclusive. Actually, if you've got two witnesses in a, in a Jewish court, everything was to be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Well, John says you have three witnesses. You have the water. You've seen, you've seen Jesus go through, through baptism as the God man. You have the crucifixion. Um, and you have the Holy Spirit. Do you believe? And actually, he says here as well, doesn't he, to disbelieve um, is, is not a neutral position. It says actually to, to disbelieve that is actually to call God um, a liar. So we want to get you back on this track of hearing and believing and having believed being born to a new life. This is the testimony, verse 11. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. He says, I'll write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So the question is this, how do you have the Son of God? He who has the Son has life. Sounds great, but how do you, how do you have the, the Son of God? Well, simply by believing the testimony about him, the testimony of John's Gospel, which includes the water and the blood, the testimony of the Holy Spirit who is, uh, who is speaking to you. And then how do you have him? By responding to that, to that testimony, that, that witness, asking his forgiveness. You go and ask him his forgiveness. You ask him for his lordship. You ask him for, for new life in Christ. And you ask then for his spirit to be in you. Ask for forgiveness for his lordship. Ask him for new life. Ask for his spirit to be in you. If you've done that, then you have the son. And you have life. You have new life in Christ. It may come to you as a new experience. It may come to you as a slow but growing experience. But if you ask that, then you have eternal life. John's called the Holy Spirit the seed that is in us. When you have this new life, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. He's called him the anointing upon us. When you uh, have, have trusted Christ by asking him for these things, uh, the Holy Spirit then is in you as an, as, as an anointing, as, a, as an illuminating presence which helps you understand the scriptures. He's called the Holy Spirit the life of God in us that changes us from the inside out. He's called him those three things. And through him, by the Holy Spirit coming in into your life, you have the Son. You're connected to the Son. And as John has said earlier in the letter, he, who has, he who has the Son has the Father. And that's inevitable, isn't it? Because actually they are three in one. You can't really have one without the other. It's just that sometimes one of them seems to be in the foreground. And I think the best way to picture this is, is, is as Jesus does in John 15. 
back in his uh, back in his gospel. Let me look that up. Is it, uh, he says, "I'm the true vine." He says, my father is the gardener, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more uh, fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He says to his um, disciples, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So there's a picture, if, you, if Jesus is the vine, if he is kind of like the core, if he's like the, uh, the trunk, the main stem, and we are like um, the, the branches, the life-giving sap uh, that flows through is, is the spirit. But if we are connected to him like a, a branch uh, to a vine, then we have him. In the sense that we have him, we are connected to him, and he has us. So we are in Christ because we're connected to him, we're, we're, part of, we're part of the vine, and we have Christ in us, um, as his spirit flows through us. So hearing, you can believe, believing you can have new life, and you having new life, you can be assured. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, verse 14, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if you know that you have new life in Christ, then you know that you are heard by God. That's a great promise, isn't it? A great truth. If you have new life in Christ, then you are heard by God. He is listening. He has heard you. He does pay attention to your prayers. He's never looking away. He's never slumbering or sleeping. But there is an if, there is a qualification, if we ask um, according to his will. So John Stott says, every true prayer is a variation on the theme, your will be done. Every true prayer is a variation on the theme, your will be done. You can have confidence. Confidence is not arrogance. It's God's intention for you. To be confident before him in prayer. Lack of confidence is, is not humility. Most often it's complacency. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God is listening to your prayers. And three final confidences then at the, at the, end, of the, uh, at the end of this chapter. He says, we know that anyone born of God doesn't continue to sin. Okay, anyone born of God, this is, this is one of those slap round the face moments, isn't it? Anyone who's born of God doesn't habitually sin. Why is that? Because the one born of God, the only begotten son, so that's Jesus, keeps us safe from the evil one, keeps us safe from Satan. So the very life of God, the Holy Spirit, is in you. If you're born of God. And so you cannot just keep on sinning. Cannot move on through life without changing and growing more like Christ. But the other thing you can't do is, is you, you can't blame Satan for this. John says the evil one cannot harm you. It says literally the evil one cannot touch you. If you're, if you're Christian the evil one cannot touch you. 
So anything you do, you can't say, oh, the, Satan made me do it, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. Sorry, that's, that's your responsibility. But we're in a safe place where the Satan cannot touch us. Where we're forgiven by God. And in that place, we, we, we press on with uh, putting to death the things that we know are wrong. Trusting in uh, the Holy Spirit within us to give us strength to make our intentions um, into realities. Second thing, John says, we know that we're children of God and that the whole world is under the control uh, of the evil one. The world in John's writing is, is the world uh, of human thought um, and human experience which doesn't um, submit to Christ. It says, it says, we know that we're children of God, but that makes everybody else under the control of the evil one. And one writer says, it's not a picture of people struggling victoriously to be free, but as quietly lying, perhaps even unconsciously asleep in the embrace of Satan. So we're the children of God. The non-Christian world is, is under the control of another power. So don't copy it. Don't be like it. And the third thing he says is, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Son of God, Jesus has come and has given us understanding. He's revealed to us uh, the real God and he's revealed to us what the real God is really like. He's a loving God. He's a just God who reconciles those two by being a self-sacrificing God. Jesus has come and given us the capacity to see the truth. To see him who is real. So what John is saying is there is only one real God. And he says at the end of that, that verse, we are... I've lost it. We are in him. And we are in him who is true. By being in his son, Jesus Christ. That's what's on offer this morning. The, the offer of you to be in him who is true. To be really, genuinely in the real and only true God who, who made the universe. And then he says at the bottom, keep yourself in mind, which seems like a kind of non sequitur. But I think what he's saying is, don't settle for anything less than the real God. Don't settle for anything less than a real experience of the real God. So let's see, and then we'll pause for prayer, and then we'll, we'll respond in song. <coughs> let's see if we can get you back on track, if you're not already on that track. Get off track through a number of things. Complacency. Okay? Get off track by complacency. Just not thinking. Just not paying enough attention to our Christian life. But also there is this thing I think we're involved in as British people to some extent, which is Christianity being a thing of the mind. It's a kind of nice idea for Sundays. 
we just kind of we're in this realm of nice ideas, but it never makes it through to um, to practical um, Christian living. That's a form of complacency, and you can't be half-hearted and have assurance. I think that's true. You can't be half-hearted and feel confident before God. Besetting sin. This is what the ancients called it, I guess, in uh, probably in our 16th or 17th century. I don't know where the phrase, phrase come from. But besetting sin is that thing you do and you can't seem to stop doing. And you come back to it and you pray again, but you do it again. And you ask for forgiveness again and you do it again. Um, and it feels like surely forgiveness must have run out now. I can't go back to God um, and, and ask forgiveness again. And fear. Just a, a conscience which can't believe that, that God is not going to punish me uh, for the things I've done wrong. Well, let's see if we can get back on track. Get back on track by hearing and believing this testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does does not have the the son of God does does not have life. There is an answer, okay, to... If you're complacent, then read 1 John again because I think that will... It will beat you about the face. Okay, in a kind of poetic John kind of way. He will slap you around the face and, and tell you that you can't be a Christian and go on sinning. You can't be a Christian uh, if you don't... You're not a Christian if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not really a Christian if you don't really want to be like him. Um, not a Christian if you can't be bothered about the truth about him. But I think the problem is probably more that I haven't really heard this word that, that God has forgiven you God has forgiven you in Christ that was what he intended to do when you became a Christian um, you maybe thought you were a really nice person and then you suddenly discovered you were a foul sinner at the very least you were doing things you know, for your own agenda you, you weren't doing them for, um, for, for God's agenda as you go on further in the Christian life, you discover you're even more fallacy than you thought you were before. It's just the way it works. It's just, and it's very gracious of God to only re, it's only reveal a bit a bit of it to us um, at, at a time, rather than show us all, all the lot at once. But there's a verse in Romans I want to draw your attention to, and it's this. Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we've now been justified by his blood, in the words, if you trusted in Christ, then his blood, his sacrifice on the cross, justifies you. In the words, makes you right before God, makes you clean before God. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more? shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. So that's Paul. And Paul is saying this. If when you were a kind of unknowing sinner and you didn't even know God and you were walking the opposite direction, Christ died for you, how much more now that you've come into allegiance 
with him, will he forgive you for the stuff that you've done wrong? I think we kind of think, now that I'm a Christian, he'll forgive me less for what I've done wrong because I know better. And Paul doesn't say that. He says now he forgives you more. So whatever your struggle with sin, it, it, is, it is forgiven. And sometimes that problem with besetting sin that we come back uh, and, we wonder, and we feel we can't ask forgiveness again, sometimes that's just pride. It's just saying, oh, I ought to have grown out of this by now, rather than just coming back and gratefully. You have to absolutely, gratefully and ruthlessly take hold of the free gift that is offered. Because it is not, you cannot, it is, there is no other way. You have to grab it as the free gift. There was a funny moment. Oh, I don't know if I can tell you this. Um, there, there was a funny moment when, when uh, last week, sorry Rob, um, there was a funny moment last week when John, um, John uh, held out his kind of bowl of sweets. Uh, and Rob, uh, Rob and my hands clashed as we went for the kind of like, for the... You know, for the first kind of sweet, and then he thought, "Oh no, I wasn't be after you, after you, Rob." Um, and we had that funny little moment. Well, that's how that's how you should take hold of the forgiveness that Christ on offer. Get your hand in, get your hand in, take hold of it, and get it out again. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> you got to hear and believe the testimony. You've then got to cultivate that new life in Christ. And, and that new life in Christ brings, will bring a desire to be like Jesus. It will. You've got to take hold of that forgiveness. It's interesting, 2 Peter, he says, whoever, whoever doesn't have, doesn't, isn't growing... Um, in Christ is short-sighted and blind forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins the thing that's stopping you growing is you've forgotten you've been forgiven and that new life will bring a desire to be like Jesus bring a love for your church family and that will give you confidence before God and that's the goal that's the place we want you to be in we want you to be confident before God in prayer we want you to have assurance as Martin Lloyd-Jones said at the beginning, assurance is not essential to salvation, but it is essential to the joy of salvation. I want you to have joy in Christ. Or as Thomas Brooks called it, I want you to live in the suburbs of paradise. <laughs>